Nonprofits are on topic with IU. I'm Kenny Smith with the Media School at Indiana University Bloomington, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Kirsten Gronbier, who is a professor in the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, also at IU Bloomington. Thank you for joining us today, ma'am. You're welcome. Thank you for talking to me. You are the longtime director of the Indiana Nonprofits Project, and you have just released out of that organization a big study on the health of the nonprofit sector. No secret to anyone by now, the economy is struggling. And often as the economy goes, so goes the not-for-profit side of things. It's a bit general of a question, but is that the sense of where we are right now? Well, I think uh, what we're facing right now is a little bit different than what we have faced in the past. Um, And I would say probably as the economy goes, the nonprofit sector doesn't quite go that way. Um, In the previous recessions, and we've um, employment trends for nonprofits uh, back to 1995. And uh, we found in uh, the Great Recession um, in 2007 and 8, I believe it was, and as well in the 2001 recession, nonprofits actually uh, gained employment in both of those recessions, even though the for profit sector was uh, shedding jobs. Um, so, um, nonprofits tend to be a bit more recession proof than, um, the rest of the economy. I don't know that that's going to be the case this time. I think, uh, COVID-19 has had a really, uh, pervasive, uh, devastating impact, uh, very sudden, uh, very dramatic impact on, um, obviously, uh, communities across the state and across the U.S. and the world. Uh, but certainly also um, at the nonprofit sector. Are there certain types of nonprofits that are holding up better than others right now? It seems to be pretty much across the board that um, the impact has been pretty dramatic. Um, the survey that we conducted in May uh, and that we released in uh, mid-July, I believe it was, shows that about 70% of the organizations have um, now operating or were at that point at least operating programs in a limited or reduced capacity. About the same percent were offering programming via phone or online platforms. And uh, 60% actually had suspended or ended programs. And the latter is important because as you suspend programs, uh, particularly programs that may involve fees like daycare or summer camp uh, or anything like that, that also means that um, revenues are uh, reduced. Uh, so when we looked at the types of revenues that uh, were impacted, we found that, um, well, first of all, that about 70% said that they had lost revenues since the um, epidemic began in, in early March. And um, about um, 70% said that they had lost fundraising events, um, had lost donations. Close to half said that they had lost revenues from fee for services. And uh, so those are pretty significant impacts. About half of the ones in our survey were able to access the uh, Small Business Administration loans via the uh, CARES Act. And uh, that have, would allow them to maintain their paycheck, um, 
and meet other uh, business expenses. In terms of that impact at the organizational level, it seems pretty widespread. How do we begin to understand the impact that that has on the end user, the clients, the constituent stakeholders of a nonprofit? I don't know that we have any direct data on that, um, but it's clear that when you're changing service modalities that way, that means that people who were dependent on having access to services, whether that be counseling or substance abuse or daycare, um, suddenly were without um, easy access to those services. In some cases, they might shift to uh, online formats, but there are certain kinds of services that are not really easily converted to online formats. Summer camp comes to mind, for example. Even if services could be delivered in that format, we don't know how effective they are, whether or not they are as effective as in-person. And I think that that's, um, the quality of the, the programming is potentially problematic. We also know that a number of people don't have easy access to the uh, IT information that they need, uh, whether it's hardware or software. We, we did ask about that question in our survey, and about a third of the respondents said that their clients were having trouble accessing uh, services uh, because of those kinds of limitations. About a third of them said that they themselves were having problems with adequate uh, information technology, both hardware or software. How does that actualize in terms of its volunteer staffing? You mentioned technology access, and there's also the, the overarching funding issues, but in terms of just personnel, how, how are we looking there? And that has been another significant impact. Um, we did ask about the um, whether or not volunteer, the lack of volunteers. Uh, I think most organizations, and when we asked about what programs have curtailed or eliminated volunteering was one of the, the, the most frequently mentioned ones. And about 43%, you know, more than two-fifths or so said that the, the lack of volunteers has placed um, greater demands on staff um, and the staff it themselves um, often having to work from home um, and dealing with childcare themselves and have had to deal with clients who were uh, not able to access uh, the services that they need. So I think the impact on staffing has been quite significant. We found also that um, close to a quarter said that they had laid off or furloughed staff, uh, and this was between early March and the end of May. And that's a pretty significant um, curtailment. I think nonprofits do their best to keep operating and providing services, even if that means they have to stretch their staff a bit more. And I think that's what we have. That's what we saw in um, earlier recessions. This one happened so suddenly, is so pervasive, and appears to have such long-term trends that it does raise questions of whether nonprofits can recover from that. Your report calls this sequence of events that communities and nonprofits in particular are experiencing a, a culmination of a triple whammy. Explain what you mean there. 
Yeah, so I think the uh, the direct impact of the uh, pandemic is obviously um, a lot of people getting sick. Um, I think I'm just looking at the Indiana data, and we're now at more than 90,000 confirmed COVID uh, cases. Not all of those have symptoms, but a number of them have, and more than 3,000 have died, and we have seen a large number of people hospitalized um, over time, um, including in intensive care. Not nearly as bad now as it was in, um, I think, the early part of um, April, uh, where we had pretty significant um, hospitalizations. I think we had about uh, 700 a day. On an average, they were in the hospitals in in early May. So obviously, the direct health um, is you know first uh, one of the major whammies. Secondly, the economic fallout from um, the ceasing all non-essential services, uh, people being asked to stay at home, small businesses, restaurants. Um, travel industry essentially shutting down. So that's kind of the, the second whammy. And then the third whammy is this, what's happened to the um, support system <clears throat> that uh, people in need, and that's not just financial need, but it is um, you know counseling need or whatever, <clears throat> where they depend on nonprofits uh, for that. Uh, we know from uh, other data that, and we don't have recent data on that, but as of 2018, I believe in Indiana, 37% of Indiana households were what's called Alice families, asset limited, um, hold on, income constraints, but employed, uh, meaning that they were uh basically a car repair or an unforeseen major bill away from um, very, very um, difficult circumstances. And another 11%, so close to half of the Indiana uh, household were facing significant challenges already in 2018. Um, and I think there's no doubt that the economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic has significantly expanded that population. So we have that expansion uh, at the same time as we're seeing the nonprofit service system really struggling to simply keep operating. And as I say, we don't know how well they're operating. In this context, I know there are some nonprofits that are very scrappy. They have very innovative people at the helm. What kind of clever practices or new strategies are you hearing about these organizations are trying to meet their needs? I just stepped down as um, president of uh, United Way of Monroe County at the end of June, and I participated in that capacity in some COVID-19 community coalition phone calls. Um, that assembled, um, I think, in April and May, there were close to 50 people participating in those Zoom calls. 
And um, there were some, I think, some interesting developments and collaborative developments in particular. Um, I know that the United Way took the lead, for example, in coordinating responses to homelessness and trying to deal with, you know, how do you deal with a pandemic among uh, homeless? You know, how do you create opportunities for isolation? Uh, and so I think we saw, we've seen some pretty interesting and, and very important efforts to coordinate and collaborate. And that, I think, gives me a little bit of hope that we're going to get through this, but I think um, it becomes a matter of maintaining that momentum. Say I'm a nonprofit, managing a nonprofit, trying to figure out how to take a next step, how to keep my service going. Uh, everyone's talking about the, the CARES Act. Where else can I turn to for help out there right now if we're really struggling? So there are, I think, um, a number of communities that have uh, developed COVID-19 emergency response funding. Uh, the Lilly Endowment provided a um, significant level of funding to the Indiana United Ways as a way of, of kind of distributing those funds down to local communities to help nonprofits uh, deal with these specific issues. In the Bloomington community, I know that um, the COVID-19 emergency relief fund that uh, United Way administers <clears throat> has distributed about, I think, more than a million dollars so far since early March. Uh, and so that's a pretty significant um, support for organizations. The city um, has done so as well. The county has um, made efforts to step into that. So I think we've seen efforts um, beyond the CARES Act that has been more locally focused. I think it's a question there of how well organized the local communities are and whether or not they can pull those resources and develop those resources. And if they have, and not all communities have that, I, and I worry about rural communities and those, um, you know, representing smaller towns. One would suppose that other cities, communities, counties, and that, and, and that sort of thing would also have comparable to what yeah. we would experience around here as well. We, we just don't, uh, I just don't know the extent of that. Of of course. Uh, perhaps my board, my executive director, sees uh, that our mission is now changing. Is this a time for that with your expertise in the nonprofit sector? Is, is that a good direction to go, or is that a let's-wait-and-see kind of moment, do you think? Well, uh, this is uh, clearly what we would consider an environmental jolt. Uh, it's a really significant impact on the entire system. And uh, that means that I think virtually every organization is going to have to take stock of what it's doing. Um, I, it's, I think the, the missions that individual nonprofits have um, may in large part remain unchanged, but how you go about implementing it might need some some adjustment and, and uh, perhaps significant adjustment. Um, and it may well be that there are some really significant new needs 
that we need to try to address, whether that be new organizations uh, forming to try to do that or existing organizations trying to refashion themselves. Both of those are, are kind of difficult things to do. Starting a brand new organization may have a better kind of fit with what is what this new environment now looks like. Um, but getting something new off the ground, particularly in this kind of environment, is going to be a challenge. Shifting your focus is also a challenge because you have a lot of um, contact networks, um, knowledge invested in your existing or, or previous programs and retooling your staff, retooling your facilities, retooling your funding support, retooling your volunteers are all going to be a challenge, I think. So that's one of the reasons I think we we should expect there to be um, some significant fallout. Dr. Kirsten Grambier, a professor in the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University and director of the Indiana Nonprofits Project. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Enjoy talking to you. And we thank you for listening as well. For more information, follow us on social media. On Topic with IU is on Facebook and Twitter. You can subscribe and download this podcast from services like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search On Topic with IU on your favorite podcast provider. On social media, be sure to search the hashtag In This Together to stay up to date on the broader statewide campaign. For On Topic with IU, I'm Kenny Smith.